Hola familia, les saludamos en el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Hey family, we greet you in the name of Christ Jesus. Wherever you're joining us from, our brothers in Kiwani, those of you connecting with us online or on TV or in any of our physical spaces, we're so glad that you're connecting with us in these ways as we step into a new series of conversations today called Cross and Crown. We're founding this conversation in the Gospel book of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament. It's also the first gospel that Christians would have had to reflect on and understand the story and way of Jesus. It's incredible to look at because Mark goes out of his way to invite us into a space of mystery. He purposefully leaves things unresolved time after time after time in a beautiful invitation for you and for me to sit and receive what God might be doing in those mysterious places, even in our lives. One of the things that quickly jumps off the pages of the book of Mark for us is the reality that Jesus is at once the rescuing king come to establish the kingdom of heaven. And he is also a humble human servant chasing after the things of God, fully human, fully divine all at once. It's a space where we see Jesus walking toward the cross even as he declares that he is the one wearing the crown. And so that's where we got the name for this conversation, the cross and the crown. As you journey with us through the book of Mark over the next five weeks, you'll see that part of how the writing occurs is that it happens in little vignettes, little pictures of life in the ministry of Jesus and the lives of those around him. And so while we're gonna walk through the book, we're gonna pick it up in different moments with different elements being true to the text and inviting you to discover and explore just who it is that Jesus is revealing himself to be to us, not just then, but now. As part of that journey together, we're inviting you and your family to walk through the book of Mark. You can go to heritageqc.com and get some great tools to help you on our Lenten journey. And one of the invitations there is to participate in a gospel reading through the book of Mark by using the Bible app or Bible.com or your own paper copy of the Bible. We encourage you to find just a little bit of time each day or throughout each week to connect with Scripture. We believe that as we journey together and as you dig into the Word for yourself, God is going to do incredible things as we experience fresh and new the cross and crown together. The doors, the King of Glory's coming. Through city streets and living hearts, we see a Spirit moving. Now His kingdom comes. Now His will be done. Lift up your banners and practice your Hey! 
wasted it It's running through my veins I can't escape its grip In you my soul is Tremble, 
The idea that God can silence fear and make the darkness tremble is a powerful one. It's filled with great imagery of Jesus pushing back and defeating doubt and despair. And I pray that song is a declaration for you as well, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey with God. Part of our regular rhythms as a church is to engage in practices that connect to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, and the community around us. And at times it can feel a little confusing because it can be difficult to determine where one ends and another begins. And yet that question is the beauty of what it is to be made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We are all at once body, mind, and spirit, and we connect to the community of those around us. As we have been journeying through this Lenten season, perhaps you have chosen to give something up to create more room for God in your life. And one of the challenges in that of any time of letting go is that it, without a clear way to connect with something new, we can easily return to what we gave up when that predetermined time is over. So the invitation of Lent is not simply to engage in a task of letting something go, but to incorporate a new practice or habit that draws you closer to God than what you were previously doing. Now a habit is, is not a choice. By its definition, it's more or less a, a fixed way of thinking. You no longer have to choose to do it. And we are all people of habit. We have activities that we, we don't think about or ways that we interact with the world that we simply just do out of habit. Last week, you were invited to stop or remove something from your life in order to connect more deeply with God. And this practice allows us to step into the encouragement we find in Romans that says, do not conform to the patterns or habits of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as you look at the habits of your life, consider how you can bring Jesus into those habits. If you're removing a food from your life, fill that craving with craving for Jesus by feeding on the Word of God. Maybe you're removing a behavior like criticism from your life. Replace that with the habit of gratitude. And it takes time to form a habit, for your mind to be renewed and for that new action to become something that you do without thinking. And we all know that change is hard. Breaking habits and forming new ones is difficult. And it's easy to put this off, to wait for the conditions of life to be more fitting. I'll exercise when the weather is better. I'll remove that app when my kids go to school. But I encourage you to step into that today. Invite Jesus into your season right now and allow Holy Spirit to renew your mind and create a new habit within you. Jesus is ready and present in the right here and now. So again, this is the invitation for you, for us, to bring Jesus to the everyday, the boring, the exciting, the sorrowful, the joyful, the difficult and the easy, the quiet and the loud. Don't wait for perfect or better or even different. Let Jesus speak to you in this Lenten season and create within you a new rhythm, a new habit 
even if it's a subtle one. So allow me to pray for you, a prayer from a writer and poet named Strahan Coleman. Father, help us not wait for a calmer world, a clearer mind, a healthier body, or a brighter road before taking full advantage of the wonder that is you today. May we take hold of you today, not tomorrow, not when it's easier, but in the moment now, in all the glory or the mess that it brings. Amen. Well, hey friends, I am so grateful for this opportunity to connect with you today, whether you're watching online or on TV or from Rock Island, from Bettendorf, from Kiwani, I am so grateful that you are plugging in and investing time in worshiping the Lord together today. Uh, I'm excited because this is the last weekend of February, and I don't know about you, but I am always very excited to say goodbye to January and February and hope for warmer months. In fact, this weekend, I'm also celebrating that the first spring training games are being played in Florida and Arizona, and, uh, and I'm excited about that. I know not all of you love baseball, but all of us can agree that it is one of the annual signs that warm air is on the way, that greenery is coming to fill the harsh landscape of winter, and I'm excited for that. Still might be a month or two away, who knows, but I'm ready for it. I'm also excited because we are launching into a new teaching series this weekend called Cross and Crown. We've already heard a little bit about how this series is going to be mapped out and played out, uh, but we're walking through this series through the Lenten season, looking through the Gospel of Mark, looking at stories of Jesus, examining his humility and his authority. We're going to see how he navigates things so seamlessly, how on one hand he, he brings the power and authority from heaven and on the other hand, he, he brings the, that power to bear with such a rich and deep humility. It's a humility, actually, that sort of shatters expectations of how we would imagine authority would uh, be played out by a leader. Jesus lived such a profound and beautiful life, and, and there is so much to learn by examining moments of his journey and just looking at the lessons and asking how those lessons have ripple and influence in our life. And so today, I want to invite you into a powerful and fascinating story found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, the first 12 verses. And, and just so that we have the story in front of us, I want to read all 12 verses over us, and then we'll take a more deliberate approach to, uh, to kind of digging into this story. So listen to the word of the Lord. When Jesus returned from Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. 
While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. And so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned outlookers. They were all amazed and praising God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, it's, it's a great story, beautiful, full of drama, full of conflict. There's some surprise twists in there that we'll examine. There's innovation, there's conversation, and of course, there's theology. But I want you to put yourself in the middle of this story. Can you imagine the scene? Here's a guy, he's paralyzed, he's immobile, he can't get anywhere, and he's got four faithful, diligent friends who help get him before Jesus. They pick up the four corners of his mat and uh, they take him to Jesus's location. And, and if the story ended right there, that would speak of amazing friendship. It would speak of amazing loyalty. But, but as the story continues, it gets better or, or maybe more bizarre if you, it kind of depends on your perspective. But this four-man ambulance arrives and they arrive to what is a chaotic scene, right? The crowds are massive. They're, they're pressing into Jesus. They're, they're, they're so tight in the house that they're out the door. And so there's really no way into the house. I mean, it's just packed, a mass of people. Now, this is pre-COVID, right? So there's no social distancing going on in this story. And, and so the guys look at the situation and they decide that failure is not an option. They're getting into that house one way or another, and so they, they choose a rather unorthodox way. And if you think about it, kind of destructive. Uh, you know, they, they rip a gaping hole in the roof of this house and carefully, or maybe not, we don't really know, lower their friend down to the feet of Jesus. Now let's pause right there and shift the angle of the story to inside the house. Uh, have any of you ever been cut off in traffic or, or maybe somebody cut in line in front of you and you, you've gotten angry over it? I, I know I have. And, and if, that, if that kind of represents you, then you might be uh, someone who, if you were in the house in this moment and the, the roof caved in during this, this teaching moment from Jesus, that you would be mildly annoyed. And, and all of a sudden being erupt, interrupted like that, that, that you would maybe have been angry or frustrated. Not to mention Whoever the owner of the house is, the, the, this roof has a big hole in it that you're going to have to take care of at some point. There's just a lot of, of things going on inside the house. I, I read, actually, it was N.T. Wright who suggested that the, the scriptures talk about how this was, this was home base for Jesus in this season of his ministry and that the house could have been his or, or maybe somebody in his family, which even 
kind of helps crystallize for us how striking Jesus's response to this whole situation is. Because Jesus does not send these guys out of the house. He he doesn't yell at them to wait their turn. He he doesn't keep talking and, and sort of ignore what's going on, hoping that this will go away eventually. No, in fact, the creative approach that these these men take actually seems to get Jesus's attention that he actually values what they're attempting to do here in this moment. And if our first surprise twist of the story happens in verse four, when the roof caves in, I would argue that the biggest surprise twist in this entire story happens in verse five, which says when Jesus saw their faith, he looked at the paralytic and he what? Did he, did he heal this guy? No. In, in fact, he doesn't heal this guy, and it's shocking. Every single person in the room, after seeing the plight of this guy laying on the floor in front of Jesus, would have guessed that this guy's biggest need was physical healing. Those four guys peering down uh, through the hole in the roof, they were there specifically to see that this guy would receive what they thought was his biggest need, physical healing. Most people who read this story for the first time and get to that point would assume that this guy's biggest need is physical healing. And this brings us to something that we need to understand and even trust about Jesus. That that is to say that Jesus knows your deepest need long before you know your deepest need. And this is where trust comes into play because sometimes Jesus starts to work on your deepest need before you know it's a need. And sometimes it can get frustrating or maybe even a little disillusioning to us because we've already approached him with what we think is our deepest need. And he's over here working on something else. And it almost feels a little bit insensitive or or like he doesn't understand the whole situation or like he's not really listening to us. And, And so here in this situation, in verse five, when Jesus says, my child, your sins are forgiven. I wonder how that four-man ambulance on the roof felt about that statement. Maybe disappointment. Uh, uh, Jesus, we're we're here for something completely different. We came here for healing. Or, Or I wonder how the paralytic felt laying on the floor, getting his hopes up to be in front of Jesus. Maybe he felt confusion or dismay or or hopes, expectations dashed briefly. But this is really one of the big markers of Jesus's ministry on earth, that so many people would approach him and follow him solely to be a recipient of a physical miracle, healings, deliverance, miraculous food pantries, wine tastings at weddings, right? Those were some of the things that people would flock to him to see and experience. Others were more interested in political freedom, when, when, when will this Jesus fella actually help free us from Rome? These were real needs, often perceived as the deepest needs. And what we learn about Jesus is that he came to deal with, he came to deal with all of our deep human needs, but he came to deal with the deepest human need. He came to deal with our sin. So when he pronounces, my child, <laughs> your sins are forgiven, he's actually pronouncing the most loving thing that he could have pronounced in that moment, 
that, that he is dealing with the deepest need found in the life of the paralytic and really in all of our lives. But the irony is that this all could have been lost under the weight of unmet expectations. And that's where trust is so important. It's where it enters the equation to to pray, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for me. I trust that you know what I need and and that this journey that I'm walking, that that whatever is a struggle, whatever is a pain, whatever is a disappointment that I'm experiencing, that it will not be wasted and and that it's leading somewhere that will provide a path for my spiritual healing. That, That I trust you in this, Jesus. And then we get to verse six. And and this is where conflict begins to enter the story. We discover that the real pushback, the the, the real criticism comes not from the friends, not from the four-man ambulance on the roof, but from teachers of religious law. This will be a theme and a rhythm in Jesus's ministry. But they hear Jesus say, my child, your sins are forgiven. And their internal response is, only God can forgive sins. This man is you know, he, he's blaspheming right now. And then that brings us to verses 9 and 10. And it's one of those classic Jesus responses. Very often Jesus was challenged on all sorts of issues, whether it was authority or content of teaching or, or, or maybe decision-making, who he kept company with, how he spent his Sabbath, something that we'll look at later in the series. On and on it goes. There's all sorts of things that he was challenged on. And in response... He would often turn tables on his challengers by asking a piercing yet brilliant question. And and typically, these sorts of questions would not get a response from his detractors because it was so, it it was almost like, you know, they they were setting a trap and then he would spring a trap in return. And that's really what we see here. Verse 9, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I mean, it's, it's a smart question, because at the end of the day, both of these statements are tied into divine actions. The ability to forgive, the ability to miraculously heal, th- th- those are both tied into divine actions that are taken. So, so when you ask which one is easier, well, uh, they both seem like tall orders to me. And, and Jesus, right, if he can do one, He can do the other, and they both point to his identity as fully divine. But just so there's no confusion, Jesus really kind of lets the question land like a grenade, and then he he says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he says to the paralytic, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And, And we've already read it. The man jumps up, takes his mat, and goes home. It's, it's amazing, and it demonstrates Jesus' power and authority to forgive sins, and at the same time demonstrates his power and authority over sickness. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to reflect upon another truth statement about Jesus, because, you know, it, it's good to know that Jesus knows our deepest needs, but it's, it's also really important to understand that Jesus has the power and authority to meet your deepest needs. And I would even add here that Jesus can meet your deepest needs 
in body, mind, and spirit. We've been talking about this as a church for, for a while now. And I don't know if you noticed, but all three of, of these are present in this story. There is evidence of miraculous and divine power and authority of Jesus to engage in all three of these categories. Now, spirit, that's easy to see. Your sins are forgiven. Body, get up and walk, right? But there is a, a small blink and you miss it moment in this story that indicates Jesus has miraculous power and authority in the realm of engaging our mind and our thoughts. Look with me again at verse six. It says, again, this is a short, you know, it's, you'll miss it if you blink kind of a thing, but it says the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves and then put a pen in that, go to verse eight, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Now listen, Here's the interesting thing, the pushback, the criticism that Jesus receives in this moment was not actually stated audibly in the room. It was thought by religious leaders and by the power and authority that Jesus has as son of God, he was able to miraculously discern the thoughts and motives of the people in the room and then begin to instruct towards truth and towards healing. And we saw it earlier too, in a more positive way. When Jesus saw the faith of the four friends, he discerned their compassion. He discerned their concern and, and their love for, for their friend and, and began to act in a meaningful way on behalf of the paralytic. Now, now listen, I don't know if this is comforting to you or if it's terrifying to you. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but listen, Jesus knows you. By his power and authority, he knows you, he sees you, he knows how you think, he knows what you think about, he understands your motives, he, he knows the, maybe some of the false narratives that you've accidentally bought into. He knows you. And it's not a silly Santa Claus, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping. Kind of, no, 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 this, this is the living God who knit you together, who handcrafted you, who cares enough to know what you're thinking about, how those thoughts can lead to constructive or destructive things. We saw both in this passage. And he wants to engage your thoughts in a transformative and meaningful way. See, now that the beauty here is that Jesus interacts and cares about you as a whole person. He has the authority and power to bring healing in all the areas of your life, body, mind, spirit. He has the power and authority to meet the deepest needs in your life. But I think this, uh, this passage sort of bubbles up two major questions that, that I want us to wrestle with. One is a, a crown-related question, and the other is a cross-related question. And I want you just to consider this crown-related question first. And that is to, to ask the question, where in my life, where are those places that I need to surrender to the authority, power, and lordship of Jesus? This is a part of the, the beauty of the cross and crown dynamic that we get to walk in with Jesus, that, that Jesus models uh, the humble way of the cross and all of this, which means that he's not going to bully his way into your life. He's not going to throw his weight around. He's not going to push in uninvited. And, and so part of our journey with Jesus is identifying those places where we give up our authority, we give up our control and, and give it to Jesus 
to give our crown of ownership of our life to him and allow him to take supervision and direction for him to take the proverbial wheel of your life, to trust that he knows best and to allow him to breathe new life into you, into the fullness of who you are. Where do you need to surrender to the authority of Jesus? But there's also a cross-related question that bubbles up from the passage. Now, Jesus, of course, is the hero of the story, but the actions of those four friends at the beginning of the story, they need to be commended. And, and we need to look at them briefly that, that, that should prompt us to consider uh, the, the cross-related question that, that I would have for us today. And that is, who are you carrying to Jesus? Who are you taking to Jesus? And one of the more fascinating parts of the story is how the scriptures articulate what happens at the exact moment when the paralytic is dropped at the feet of Jesus. It says this, when Jesus saw their faith, plural, right? Then, then he said, child, your sins are forgiven. The word there is so intriguing to me. Jesus saw their faith and then acted on behalf of the friend. All three gospel writers, Luke and Matthew, also cover this story. They say it in the same way. When Jesus saw their, plural, faith, it's amazing. Now, there's all sorts of things that you could probably pull from this, but, but for us today, I want us to see the power of friendship and community, the power of sacrifice. These guys didn't even know it yet, but they were choosing to live in the way of the cross, displaying sacrificial compassion and carrying a friend to the very feet of Jesus. See, I think that that's actually what happens when we put ourselves under the authority of Jesus. It's actually then an invitation for us to start walking the way of the cross. It's an invitation to live poured out and on behalf of those who are around us. It's an invitation to live in sacrificial compassion. I mean, here are four guys who carried their friend on a mat. We don't know how long. We don't know how they even got him up on the roof, vandalized said roof, lowered him down, and there seemed to be no personal direct benefit for them in this story. All of the benefits in this situation, at least seemingly, go to the one person, the paralytic, the one on the mat, and none of the direct benefit seemingly goes to the four men whom Jesus said had the faith. But I imagine that that didn't matter a whole lot to them because they were walking in the way of the cross, sacrificial compassion, where they found satisfaction in the healing and wholeness of their friend. His success was their success in the same way that they made his problem their problem. That's very cross-like, setting aside our own comfort so that others can experience the love and healing of Jesus. Friends, God knows your deepest need and God has the power to meet your deepest need and to bring healing into all facets of your life. But don't forget, he also knows the deepest need of your neighbor and he wants to meet their needs as well. He wants to infuse healing into them as well. And our call is to surrender our crown, our authority, our supervision over to the direction of Jesus so that we can begin to live in the way of the cross and to help carry people to the very feet 
of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the gift of the scriptures, which illuminates the gift of your life, Jesus, among us. And I thank you for the story that has so many different facets and elements, friendship and compassion, talking about authority, talking about sacrifice, healing. There's so much to glean. And I, I just pray, God, that as we interact with the story, that we would get a sense of, of the reality that we can trust you because you know the deepest parts of who we are and how we think. And that we can hand we can hand ownership of our lives over to you and trust that you know what's best for us. You know how we're wired. You know what we need. And I pray, God, that as we interact and hand over authority to you, that you would begin to lead us in the way of the cross and that it wouldn't be just enough that we've received healing from you, but that we would try to carry as many people to your feet as we can, so that they can receive the same healing and grace and forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
out of the darkness, God has called us in to his glorious day. I cannot wait to see what that continues to look like for all of us as we come out of what for some has been a dark season into this season of resurrection and hope and life. We are convinced that God is at work as never before, bringing himself glory at work in you and your families. In fact, we're so grateful for those of you who have expressed to us the value that moments like this have had for you and your families. We've had some of you reach out to us and let us know that while it's been years or maybe you've never connected in a local church, that your home and living space has become sacred space as you've gathered with the Heritage family and encountered Jesus in real ways as he's making himself known and offering freedom and life and hope. We're so grateful when you share those things with us. And for those of you who are serving, praying, and giving, you are part of every one of those stories. Thanks for being connected and committed in that way. If you want more information about how you can connect in serving and giving and in praying, we invite you to connect with us at heritageqc.com or on the Church Center app. All of that information is there for you. You can also connect with us by sending us an online connection card, knowing our pastors will pray over you and follow up with you about whatever questions you might have. As I mentioned earlier, we have some great resources for this season of Lent. It's a conversation that we're having as we prepare for the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. It's an invitation for followers all over the world to walk intentionally, creating space to receive what God has for them. At the heritageqc.com or the Church Center app, you'll find some great resources for you and your family to get the most out of this time. Finally, we want to invite you into some great opportunities to connect in person. We're excited that next week at both our Rock Island and Bentendorf locations, we'll be hosting live in-person worship opportunities at 9 and 11 o'clock a.m. Again, that's 9 and 11 a.m. in both Rock Island and Bentendorf. And then the following week, on March 14th, children's programming will begin to incrementally roll out at our 9 o'clock worship gatherings. Pre-registration for that is required, and again, you can find that information on the app or online. Know that we are praying for you, that we really do believe God's very best is yet to come for you and for these cities. We can't wait to see what He does in and through us together. We'll see you soon. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was born.